Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We thank you for your presence with us this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your ministry in our midst. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus into the world that we might have life in his name. So Lord, as we consider these words of Jesus, would you open our eyes to who we are in Christ, that we might live in the way of Christ for the glory of Christ. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would grab a seat. Again, good morning. My mic. Is that good? Can you guys hear me? Okay, good. We'll try this. Uh, well, again, good morning. Uh, we are going to jump right back into the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is where we have been for um, the last couple of months. So I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab your Bible, uh, pull it out, open up to the verses I just read, Matthew 5, 38 through 42. Uh, there should be a blue Bible and a seat back near you if you need one or if you want to open up uh, your Bible app, Matthew 5, 38 through 42. The reality is um, that we live in a very violent and dangerous world. Just uh, a few things in the news over the last uh, really several months caught my attention. One was that in the past 12 months, over 1,000 Nigerian Christians, most of whom are farmers and herdsmen, have been murdered by an Islamic terrorist group called Boko Haram. A little closer to home, a little over a month ago, you'll remember there was a shooting in a church service just outside of Fort Worth. A man shot and killed two members of that community, and then himself was shot and killed by the church security team during the service. And then I saw this in the Chronicle uh, just yesterday, a couple of days ago, a three-year-old little boy uh, was left at an area hospital by himself after having been uh, severely, severely beaten. Um, and the article ends, and this is two days old, but the article ends with quoting a doctor, a physician, saying the boy is alive, but the prognosis is grim. You know, when you, you hear, this is not out of the norm, which is what's so tragic. Despite all the advances of our modern culture, education, law, technology, 
the world remains full of violence, full of violence. And so the question that we want to ask this morning is, what does Jesus have to say? What does Jesus have to say to us who live in a world like that, full of violence? And so that's how we come to Matthew chapter 5 and Jesus' words here in verse 38. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, this is a quote. It's a quote from a command in the Torah, the the teachings of the Old Testament, that appear uh, at least three times, Exodus 21, Exodus, or excuse me, Leviticus 24, and then again in Deuteronomy 19. And I just want to read Deuteronomy 19 so you can kind of get the idea of what Jesus is quoting. It says, the judges shall inquire diligently, and if the, witnesses, if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. This is what Jesus quotes. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand foot for foot. Now, we hear a law like that, this ancient law that God gave to Israel, and we hear it, and it sounds honestly pretty barbaric to our modern ears, doesn't it? I mean, an eye for an eye, it sounds unjust, but the reality is, in in the context in which God was giving it, it was actually aiming for a more just society. That was the aim of the command. Humans left to themselves, in other words, tend not to retaliate in kind, but to escalate in violence. And if you have kids, like I do, you know that. (laughs) I have three, two boys and a girl, all under nine, and they all do this, right? You say a mean thing to me, I pinch you, right? You punch me in the arm, I sock you in the gut, right? This This is how humans work escalating levels of violence. And so the law here that we encounter in the Old Testament, it's, it's aimed at who we are as human beings. It's addressing that reality of human society. And it says, let's stop the escalation and let's seek justice in a court. Eye for an eye represents a guideline, right? And you see that in the beginnings of these verses in Deuteronomy 19. It's for a judge who is presiding over a courtroom, an ancient courtroom, And this is a guideline that we actually follow even in our justice systems today. We still follow this, and it's a legal term called lex talionis. Lex talionis is a legal term that talks about the law of retaliation, which is that whereby a punishment that's received resembles the offense committed in kind and degree. So we still practice this legally today. It's a guideline for us. And these laws that we encounter here in these verses that Jesus is pointing back to, they were radically different in comparison to the world around them. Um, You just think about uh, this in contrast to kind of ancient epics, right? About ancient heroes, people like Achilles or Beowulf who, who seek to defend their honor, right? They defend their honor and they do it through extreme acts of vengeance. Vengeance was the way. And so Jesus is saying, look, this is, this is what you've heard. And what you've heard is there's a goodness about it. The Bible says an eye for an eye. It's different. It contrasts. 
But he also says, I am going to change your understanding of that way. Scholars think it's likely that Jesus is dealing with a misappropriation of this teaching from the Old Testament that was meant for uh, religious leaders of the day, for the law, for the, for, the, for the courts to handle cases like this. And now it's been actually pressed down and the religious leaders of the day were encouraging everyday people to kind of put this into practice, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And Jesus, in contrast here, he's saying, look, as my followers, that's good for the courtroom. But as my followers, you are called to respond to violence against you in a radically different way. And so in the context here of Jesus' teaching, the entire Sermon on the Mount, if you'll remember, is, it's a turning away from the way of the world. It's, it's turning the way of the world upside down, a radically surprising, even shocking way of life in Jesus that's totally different than what the world offers. We are called to be salt and light, right? We're called to be a city on a hill. We're called to be this living witness of a radically countercultural way of life. And so Jesus is instituting this way of life on top of the old, the new on top of the old. And so the Old Testament law that we encounter that Jesus refers to, it's good. It is actually a good law, but it's limited. Its effectiveness is limited. The best it could do was keep violence in check. That is the best it can do. Because as a general rule, again, violence begets violence, right? Eye for an eye begets more violence, ultimately. Human history is an ongoing, you could think about it, an ongoing chain of violence. Violent responses back and forth. And we see this all over the world. We, we see this constantly. You know, an embassy protest in Iraq then becomes uh, killing an Iranian general that then leads to 176 passengers on a Ukrainian airliner killed. Violence begets violence. This is the way of the world. And yet our world operates under the myth that the best way to combat violence is with violence. That's the myth. And while yes, violence can keep itself in check, and sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes that is necessary, but that's the best it can do. It's the best that it can possibly do. In other words, ultimately, violence cannot solve the problem of violence. That's what Jesus wants to highlight for us. So, Jesus says there's another way. There's another way. Verse 39, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Do not resist the one who is evil. Now, unfortunately, this word resist uh, can be misleading. It's easy to kind of misunderstand what this means. For reasons we don't have time to get into, the King James Bible translated the Greek word, uh, atistani, into do not resist. But most biblical scholars would read this and think that that's not a helpful translation. That is not a helpful translation uh, because it makes Jesus sound like what he's saying is just let people abuse you. Become a human doormat, punching bag. Don't resist evil people. Just let them do whatever they want to you. The reality is that a testini means to oppose with force. It means to violently fight back against someone who has done evil to you. Which means a better translation here might actually be don't respond to evil with violence. 
Don't respond to evil with violence. I love the way New Testament scholar N.T. Wright translates this. He says, Jesus would, was basically saying, don't use violence to resist evil. Do not use violence to resist evil. And when we say evil, we're talking here about evil and those who perpetrate evil in the world. For Jesus' first century listeners, the the first people that would have come to mind would have been the occupying Roman force who would have regularly mistreated and abused and even killed them. For us, we might think of groups like North Korea or ISIS or white supremacist groups. We might think uh, in just kind of the everyday experience of our life and kind of the mean neighbor or, or kind of criminals at a local level, right? We might think in those terms as our enemies, those who do evil. And, and the question then is, well, how do we deal with people like that? How do we deal with evil? When we encounter evil and it does wrong to us, it harms us, it does violence to us, when people use violent words and acts, as followers of Jesus, what do we do? How do we respond? Jesus says to his followers, the way you respond is not, not with violence. It is not with violence. Jesus could not be more clear. But I say to you, do not use violence to resist evil. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus is saying don't resist. In fact, Jesus now provides us with a completely radically different way of responding to evil. He encourages us to find creative, nonviolent ways to respond to injustice and violence. Leo Tolstoy, the, the Russian author, called this way of Jesus the breaking of the chain of evil. The breaking of the chain of evil. Uh, there's a theologian uh, who studied this exhaustively, a guy named John Howard Yoder, and he wrote this about Jesus' radically new teaching. He said, what is wrong with the world is that most fundamentally people respond to evil with evil. The iron necessity of retaliation intends to preserve human society from chaos, but in reality, it guarantees at best a continuing chain of evil, and at worst, it escalates like pouring gas on a fire. Non-retaliation he says, is the only way to break that chain, that chain of violence. Now, the early church, early followers of Jesus, were absolutely deeply committed to this nonviolent way of life. They lived in a violent world, like we do, and at times they faced intense persecution. And so it's why you encounter, in, in, the, in the letters from people like Paul and, and Peter, why you encounter Teachings like this from Romans 12, 14 through 21. This is what the Apostle Paul said. He said, bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse them. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry... Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Listen to this. Do not, do not, Paul says, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. 
First Peter, we just heard these verses a few minutes ago. For this is a gracious thing, Peter writes, when mindful of God, that one endures sorrow, right? endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. Unjust suffering, he says, glorifies God. Because this is what you've been called to, because Christ all suffered, also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. See, the apostles, the early church, they looked at this teaching of Jesus and they took it seriously. Jesus' willingness to practice what he taught led them to the cross. Jesus lived this out, this nonviolent response to evil. He lived this out even to the point of giving his own life on the cross. And his followers, his early followers, followed that same path, many of them even to their own deaths. They were absolutely convinced, and they took this teaching of Jesus seriously. Pastor um, John Mark Comer says this. He says, the way we battle evil in this world is not with evil. It is with suffering, the sacrificial cross-shaped enemy love where we absorb evil and we overcome it with good. That is the work that God is doing in us through his Holy Spirit to be glorified even in an evil, violent, broken world. All right, so what, what does it look like to live this way? Jesus gives us four examples. Four examples of creative, courageous, nonviolent response to evil. Now these are not rules that we're supposed to follow. They are creative applications in this kingdom way of this principle, do not use violence to resist evil. And so despite kind of their cultural distance from us, this is not something, these four things are not things that we do, we're gonna do this week. But I think even though they're somewhat foreign to us, they can spark in us a, a creative imagination to think through our own lives and how we might live this out in response to evil in the world. So the first is this. First, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Verse 39, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now this, in Jesus' day, was a, an act of violence uh, that was intended to shame someone. So you smack them across the, the face. And what's the possible responses you could have? Well, you could just take it, right? You could just be shamed, publicly slapped. You could fight back. You could hit them back if someone hits you like this. Those are kind of the two paths. And Jesus says, actually, there's another way. There's another way that you could respond. You could turn the other cheek. So in other words, someone smacks you, you, you stand back up in their face, and you stay there. Now at that point, they have two possible responses. They can either hit you again, or they back off. And what Jesus is saying here is, look, your act of courage and restraint in that moment may actually expose immoral behavior and move that person to a change of heart. It could potentially have that outcome. It could break the chain of violence, potentially. Number two, give your cloak, Jesus says. Verse 40, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. Let them have your coat, right? You're in a courtroom. 
Someone's suing you. They want to take you to the cleaners. Everything you're worth, they want it. In fact, they actually want the literal shirt off your back. That's what Jesus is describing here. So a first century Jewish male would have had two articles of clothing that they wore all the time, a tunic and then a coat over that tunic or shirt, right? And so what happens here is that person is saying, I'm going to take your shirt off your back. Now, law in Jesus' day prevented you from taking the person's coat because the coat was used uh, as a blanket. It was the only thing that protected you from the elements. You had to at least leave someone with their coat. You couldn't take that from them. And so what Jesus says here is, you've taken the shirt. All I've got left on is a coat. And Jesus says, take off the coat in the middle of the courtroom and give it to him. In other words, stand naked before the person suing you because you've given over everything. Can you imagine? I mean, that's radical. That's extreme response. And that's what Jesus says. And he says, look, that's a totally different way than the other options. The other option would be just let them shame you, let them take everything from you, or you countersue. I'm going to sue you for everything you got. And Jesus says, no, here's another way. Here's a different way. And through this way, perhaps in that moment, your accuser might be ashamed of their actions. Your bold act might call out their greed and selfishness. It might, again, break this chain of evil in the world. Third way, go the second mile. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. It's, um, it's too bad this one's so familiar to us because it's so powerful. It's become kind of a cliche, go the extra mile. But Jesus is imagining here a Roman soldier who's forcing you as a Jewish person to carry their bag. Remember, this is an, a, a, an occupying force violently oppressing you. What's your response when a soldier says, carry my bag for a mile? You got two. You can either carry it to that first mile marker and drop it and be filled with hatred and resentment the whole way. Or you could take up the, the sword like a revolutionary. You could, you could try to kill that soldier. Those are kind of your two main options. And Jesus again says, no, here's another way. Instead of doing that, when you get to that first mile marker, you just keep going. You keep carrying it. Your willingness to go the extra mile might cause a conversation, might cause you to actually engage with your enemy as a human being. Now, he could take advantage of you and move on, but at least it opens the possibility. The door might be opened for God and the gospel to do something in that moment. And then number four, give to those who ask. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Here it's interesting, the perspective shifts. Now you're the person in the position of power and someone's come to you, a a person in poverty, and they ask for your help. And again, you could ignore them. You could berate or shame them. Jesus says, third way. Engage them as a human being. Help them in their time of need as a human being. A different way. Now in all these examples, Jesus is pointing to this third creative way. Right, you see that? A third creative way that's powerful. It's a powerful, beautiful witness of the kingdom of God in the world. And it's a way that that you can potentially, potentially break this chain of evil and violence. Now I say potentially. I think it's very important for us to understand what Jesus is not saying is if you do this, it will always work. It's not about the fact that, oh, if I just do this, it's like a life hack against violence. That's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, the emphasis here is not on the response of the person. It's on what you do as a follower of Jesus. And so the truth is sometimes this may result in continued violence 
That's a possibility. But we take up that way of Jesus because we want to bring him glory in our response to violence in the world and not take up evil against evil. Now, some people would call this way uh, pacifism. Um, I don't think that's a helpful term for a lot of reasons, not the least of which it's really loaded politically. Uh, it, it freights all kinds of other things into that word that Jesus is not talking about here. You got kind of make love, not war kind of stuff you know, from the 60s kind of being imported. And, and it's just all, all that is unhelpful because that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is, is teaching something that has far-reaching implications, but he's not speaking directly to governments. He's not speaking directly to, to military. He's talking to his followers, his followers. And many people, I think, rightly or wrongly, they also, when they hear this term pacifism, they think passivity. That Jesus, again, is just saying, hey, just be a human punching bag. And again, that is not what Jesus is teaching. Scott McKnight, uh, New Testament scholar, he says that Jesus teaches nonviolent resistance, not non-resistance. Nonviolent resistance, not non-resistance. And so Jesus is calling us to something bold, something creative, something wise, something risky. He's calling us to this different way, a kingdom way. And he teaches us these four examples to spark our imagination so that we can think through, okay, how do we live this way, nonviolent response to evil in our own lives? So the question then is, will we take Jesus' call seriously? Will we take Jesus' call to nonviolence seriously? History has shown what can happen if we do. Two weeks ago, um, maybe a little more, we celebrated the life and the impact of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And Dr. King took Jesus' call and literally this teaching from Matthew 5, and he used it to develop a nonviolent approach to racism in our country. Incredible. King and others in the civil rights movement, they changed our nation. Changed our nation, not with violence, but through nonviolent protest, absorbing, right? Absorbing the evil that confronted them. Racist brutality, dogs, fire hoses, bricks, knights in jail, systematic injustice. They absorbed all that. And the response was not to fight back. I mean, it's incredible. Not to fight back but with non-violent, non-violent response, resistance. History's also shown what can happen when Jesus' call to nonviolence is ignored, marginalized, explained away. I don't have to give you examples. You know examples in the history of the church when the church has done horribly, horribly violent things in the name of Jesus. The question is, are we going to take Jesus' teaching here seriously. Now, just to end, um, this stirs up all kinds of difficult questions. I, as I've looked at Jesus' teaching this week, I, I, I pulled Langley aside at one point. I said, I don't even know what to say at this point in the sermon. I mean, the implications for what Jesus is teaching here are far-reaching. And it provokes all kinds of questions for me, personally, challenging questions. And, and I want to study Jesus 
teaching here more and I wanna think through it and pray through it more and I challenge all of us to do that. But lots of questions are probably, you know, bouncing around in your head. What is, so what does this mean exactly? You know, one of the questions that comes up a lot, you know, this is, I found this in books and stuff as I've been reading about this. Well, so what do you do about like the Nazis, right? This nonviolent way of Jesus. What do you do in a situation like that? What if American Christians, for example, had refused to fight against Hitler? Wouldn't we all be speaking German right now? What would have happened? And it's a legitimate question. It's a legitimate question. I, I, I find New Testament scholar Richard Hayes' question equally provocative. This is what he asked. He said, what if, what if German Christians had refused to fight for Hitler? What if they had taken a nonviolent, resistant approach to what was going on in their own nation? See, if we take Jesus' teaching seriously, it has huge implications for how we live daily. So other questions. I'm just gonna list them off. What about self-defense? What if the life of another is at stake? What about protecting your own family? Is it okay to use deadly force? What is the role of violence for the government? What about serving as a follower of Jesus in the military? What about serving and police. What about just war theory? What about all the violence in the Old Testament? I mean, these are huge, huge questions. And the truth is, I don't have the answer to all those questions. But I'm continuing to study and to pray and to think through these things. And my challenge to us is that we do the same. I hope that in your time with Jesus, You'll ask these kinds of questions. You'll look at his examples. You'll ask him, help me be creative in the way that I live this out, the way of Jesus in my own life. I hope that in our life groups, we'll wrestle with these kinds of questions and that you'll allow the Holy Spirit to help you think through this lens, the lens of Jesus' radical teaching, which is simply this, do not use violence to resist evil. Do not use violence to resist evil. Let's pray. Lord God, we live in a violent world, a world that is heartbreaking. And Lord, we know that you are a good father, that you sent your son into a violent, broken world. And that because of what he's done on the cross, where we can live life as you designed it to be lived, a life of goodness, righteousness, a life free from violence. So Lord, help us to be the church. Help us to be followers of Jesus who take these words seriously, even at great cost to ourselves. Lord, help us not to push them aside because they're difficult, but to embrace the way of Christ, because it is life and life to the full. And Lord, help us to be a living witness of your love, even for our enemies, even those who would do harm to us. Teach us how to love them. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.